We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Daddy, what are you doing? Nothing. Eating nachos. You get them from the concession stand? Nah, bro, I'm from home. What? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. What? Travel. He brought nachos from home, trying to run a business here. You can't call that. Jackie, you got to dribble if you're going to move. What are you talking about? Basketball rules. I got season tickets. I can do whatever the hell I want. Oh, yeah? Well, I can do this. And this. And that. Go, Trump. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast breaking down the on-field action of your favorite sports movies, presented by the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today we're talking semi-pro, the Will Ferrell basketball comedy that kind of gets lumped in more with being the quality of Blades of Glory, but is actually a lot closer to Talladega Nights. This movie goes. I was joined by Rob Fox, who was my guest way back on episode two. Uh, We covered A League of Their Own. And uh, Rob has just launched a couple podcasts of his own, Unofficial Visit and Spare Bedroom. I will link all of Rob's info in the show notes, unlike last week where I forgot to save the show notes and this episode was just running noteless for the first day it was up. But uh, yeah, check out Rob. Make sure to also check out the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network for all of your sports podcasting needs. We've got pods on the NFL, college football, and gambling to set you up for football season. Make sure you subscribe to Big Screen Sports. And if you haven't yet, take the brief, tiniest amount of time to just rate, leave a review wherever you're getting your podcast. Mainly, it's just for my own vanity, but also to help out the podcast and share with a friend who also enjoys sports movies. As for now, it's time for everybody to love everybody with Semi-Pro and guest Rob Fox. All right, my guest today, he was the guest way back in episode two when we covered A League of Their Own back in the Trouble with the Script days. But on, on today's episode of Big Screen Sports, my guest is a writer for the web website Rare News and co-host of the podcast Unofficial Visit and Spare Bedroom. Rob Fox. Rob, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, man. How about you? I'm doing good. I was just struggling just now there to, to get out all your credentials. Yeah, so, so many unimportant like they were credentials. Twisters. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the, the classic, the all-time basketball film, Semi-Pro, uh, tell me about your new podcast, Unofficial Visit, Spare Bedroom. Let the let the listeners know what you're doing with that. Yeah, so uh, Unofficial Visit is a uh, really great 
um, college football podcast that I'm doing with two of my former uh, TFM co-writers, uh, Jake Goldman and Dan Regester. Uh, if you're familiar with my video days from TFM, Jake was the treasurer in the exec board series. And um, Dan was a writer for TFM. He was in, he was all over the videos too. Um, but he was one of the main writers for TFM. So we're doing a, a college football podcast called Unofficial Visit twice a week. Um, it's funny. It's a combination of just like, our, our tagline for it is uh, your fall Saturday group chat in podcast form, um, which is a pretty good summation of it. It's like the three of us kind of drunk, uh, you know, just bullshit about, about college sports and, or about college football and, um, you know, giving our takes hot or otherwise and kind of just dreaming up insane scenarios in our heads, that, that type of thing. Um, and gambling picks, all that kind of stuff. But it's funny. And I think, I think there's not a lot of cultural podcasts like that out there. I feel like cultural ball is oddly like a pretty weak podcast scene. Um, there's a lot of like specific ones, but not a good like general one. And then um, the other podcast is spare bedroom. That's a sketch comedy podcast that is uh, coming out soon. We're, trying to negotiate the price with iTunes right now. They're kind of overcharging for it. So it's technically on iTunes. Do not buy it yet. If you buy it, we can't lower the price. So, cause they'll be like, Oh, see, see people are buying it at this price. We're keeping it. Um, but that I'm really excited about that one. Um, it's just like six hours of like comedy sketches and stuff like that. All, all on the audio. It's kind of like a throwback to uh, national lampoon radio days, uh, which was before all of our times, but it's that type of situation. And um, when can listeners look for episodes of Unofficial Visit? This uh, this episode is coming out uh, September the twelfth, so so in about two weeks from when we're recording it. So based on that, when um, when are episodes of Unofficial Visit gonna hit? Uh, what day is the twelfth? <laughs> it is a Thursday. So we would have an episode out on Thursday. Uh, awesome. We have episodes come out Thursday and Monday. Uh, uh, we do a, a preview of the weekend on Thursday review of the weekend on monday perfect well everyone go subscribe to that but uh today we're not talking college football we're not even talking football we're talking basketball with will ferrell's classic comedy semi-pro semi-pro is a 2008 sports comedy jackie moon the owner coach player of the american basketball association's flint michigan tropics rallies his teammates to make their nba dreams come true stars will ferrell woody harrelson andre 3000 and just a just a killer cast of people Got a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, grossed $43 million worldwide, and it, it opened at $15 million, which is opposed to the $33 million of Blades of Glory a year earlier, which is kind of a deep thing, I think, of how this movie was remembered and what we were talking about in that it gets, I think, a little tied into Blades of Glory. It does. That's insane that it has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's um, a crime. It really is. And... Uh, what we were, yeah, what we were talking about, and I actually think it goes a little further than um, Blades of Glory. Like, obviously, Talladega Nights is a great movie. Uh, it's probably Will Ferrell's second or third best movie, depending on how you feel. Um, Talladega Nights, obviously great. Uh, but there was a, a, but then Blades of Glory, not very good, kind of like a week. I think it, Blades of Glory might have technically been R, but I feel like it was like the softest R or hardest PG-13 you could have. Um, it was just weak, you know? Like, it wasn't that great. And then... Um, it was super forgettable. It was super forgettable. Uh, yeah, like, I was never into it. Um, I remember watching it and being, like, it's a great thought, you know? Like, oh, Will Ferrell as a 
figure skater, like a drunken sex addict figure skater, but it just, they didn't pull it off. But so the thing too, that's, that's interesting about this is that, uh, it was basically his third sports movie in a row, right? So he was also in this in the stretch. Was, he had Talladega Nights in 06, uh, Blades of Glory in 07, and then Semi-Pro in 08, okay? And the only thing in between those three movies uh, was Stranger Than Fiction, right? And that was kind of like a little indie film um, that he was, it was... It was pretty semi-serious. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't super serious, but it, it, it wasn't in the same vein as these comedies that he... These ridiculous comedies he turns out. Exactly. And it wasn't really like a quote-unquote Will Ferrell movie. So basically, as far as like Will Ferrell movies go, I'm using quotes again there, he did three sports movies in a row, and the first one was great. The second one sucked. And I think by the third one, people were just like, dude, is this like all you're doing now? is like sports movies, like just cheesy, stupid sports movie. Like, and I think that really um, was kind of the way people were looking at it when they went into this movie. But it's not that at all. It's not cheesy. It's a really funny, hard R uh, sports movie that kind of did its homework too, I thought, uh, both in terms of the sport itself and the ABA. Uh, I agree. Which people forget or don't even know, because like ABA is before our time, um, was like a really wacky, bizarre league. Like it was very, we'll get into it later, I guess, but it's very on brand the way Jackie Moon was like doing crazy promotions. Uh, and and um, the first alley-oop is kind of like the, the big uh, climax or whatever. Like the ABA was known for um, like – popularizing dunks they invented the three port the three-point line like the aba was like kind of the, the arcade version of basketball to the nba's more like stoic version you could almost you could make like a rough analogy to uh the nfl versus college football how like one's kind of fun and wacky and the other one's a lot more like stoic and serious um well, that's kind of how the aba was to to the nba yeah, it led to one of my favorite, one of my favorite thirty for thirties, the uh, Free Spirits, the one about the spirits of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good, pretty good ABA reference. But I, I think if Semi Pro comes out before Blades of Glory, like follows up Talladega Nights, comes out, I think it's remembered differently. It's remembered a little more fondly. One hundred percent. Or if it comes out after Step Brothers. And pe- and people are on an all time kind of like high with Will Ferrell at that point. That's, you know I mean? Yeah, that's borderline his peak. Do you know the one other thing that he did in between Blades of Glory and Semi Pro though? That's Blade. when the the, uh, the landlord. Yes. Came yeah, out. he founded um, Funny, or, Funny Die or Die in that time. Uh, so people liked him for that and everything, but like for whatever reason, they just were not willing. Well, not for whatever reason. I know what the reason is. They didn't want to see another Will Ferrell sports movie. Because he was literally releasing one a year at that point, mm-hmm. and well, and and, and to the I'm go ahead. I was gonna say, and I just forgot. I forgot about this before Talladega Nights. He had kicking and screaming. So this was his fourth sports movie in a three year period from 2005 to 2008. Four year period, I guess, from 2005 to 2008, and two of them were bad. You know, and this kind of kicks to the IMDb trivia a little bit, but he, he said after this movie that it would be his his final uh, his final sports comedy, and so far that's held true. You know, a little over ten years later, he hasn't made another. It was um, it's it's bizarre that he chose 
those projects in a row like that. Yeah, um, there's a there's another like I would love to just have like a three hour podcast, kind of the career of Will Ferrell because it's so interesting. It, it really is, and it's also crazy too because that's I don't know how long his stuff usually goes, but basically like you know two year two year period between working with Adam McKay again, the like Will Ferrell Adam McKay team up. Um, which is what Talladega Nights and, and the uh, Anchorman and um, Step Brothers all were. Uh, yeah. But now Adam McKay is like a serious director. Uh, and um, got an Oscar nom, didn't he? Yeah, I did. I think he won uh, a writing Oscar, I believe, for uh, what do you call <laughs> what do you call it? Um, Vice. Yeah, 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 the uh, with Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah. This one was directed by uh, Ken Alterman. Um, and getting into kind of the, our opening questions before we go into you know what makes a Hall of Fame All Star, you know, is this uh, an All Star sports movie or whatever? I want to start asking my guest, what to you makes a good sports movie? Um, so I think whether it's a comedy or a uh, drama or somewhere in between, really the best thing is um, some level of authenticity because you can't spoof something if you don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? You can't realistically produce a good satire or, or humor piece on something if you don't know anything about it. Uh, there's a That's funny- the company line with this podcast. I appreciate you going with that. It's like the mission statement. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And, it, you know, like humor comes i'm a comedy writer like a not a renowned one or anything but i write comedy and humor like comes from truth so there has to be some groundedness in in what you're doing whether it's you're grounded to your story or to your characters or to your setting or whatever or or some combination of all of that uh and with the sports movie uh, being grounded to your setting uh is required because your setting is a huge part of the story um, absolutely. So that to me makes a good sports movie, regardless of that, uh, regardless of, of what it is other, you know, you just lost those ways. And there's a funny thing when, um, Danny McBride and the other guy whose name I forget came to Will Ferrell and Adam McKay with Eastbound and down. Um, cause they're the ones that produced it. Uh, they were pitching it and everything. And they like kind of knew who John Rocker were, uh, Danny McBride and his, his, uh, writing partner, but they didn't really know. And Will Ferrell and McKay stopped them like halfway through their pitch. And they were like, you guys don't watch sports, do you? They're like, we could tell just like from the things you're saying. And they're like, no, we don't really. And they're like, that's fine. We'll help you with the sports aspects of it. Um, and that was like a thing that, that, that like Will Ferrell knows his, his sports. And even Blades of Glory, which I didn't like, I, I think it does an okay job of uh, being somewhat honest to figure skating. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you kind of have to have that authentic, honest route in order to to spawn the comedy off of that. And getting into if you know the, how what we think of this movie, I think I don't think I was asking this question on the podcast when we did League of Their Own, which I think we could both probably agree that's a Hall of Fame sports movie. Yes, absolutely. Um, what do you for for you? What is semi pro? I think it's an all star who's. Um... Who's it's if we're talking a baseball player here, even though it's a basketball movie, I think it's an all-star whose numbers in retrospect, like after he's already died, people like when new analytics come out, they're like, oh, you know what? 
Like this guy actually was an extremely undervalued player. He he was all, all, an all star, obviously, but like he's kind of he might be actually be a Hall of Famer. It's like a God, who are some Hall of Famers that got it's, in? It's recently? Kenny. It's Kenny Lofton because Kenny Lofton has fallen off the ballot, but he is a guy who analytics will definitely put in when he gets on the veterans ballot. Yeah, well, might be an Andrew Jones who's barely hanging on to the ballot somehow, even though he's got 450 home runs and like 80 or 60 career war or something like that. One of the top three, two defensive center fielders of all time. It's bananas that he's barely on the ballot. I'd just like to say that Johan Santana has a career that is extremely comparable to Sandy Koufax, and he fell off the ballot after after one year. Right, which exactly. Is, which like will be my crusade. The only reason I'm doing this podcast is to build a platform to start a 40-episode Johan Santana podcast. <laughs> so I just, I just hope everyone's ready for that. But I agree. I think this one's a Hall of Famer, or um, excuse me, an all-star. It's really good, and it's like surprising how good it is. Yeah. Really. Like, it if you if you haven't seen it in a while you kind of tie it into blades of glory and it's it's really you know it it's really good um i have one opening question about the feasibility the authenticity of the movie though could jackie okay. have actually bought a franchise with one song he his one song this is like rick astley buying a team like could could jackie have have bought the you know Presumably, he probably gets a good lease on the arena from the city. The city seems to love Jackie Moon. But, like, did that much money come from? Because Jackie never seeming, like, he has kind of financial problems in this movie, but not like he's going to lose the team financial problems. He just, like, writes checks he can't cash sometimes, literally. Uh, Could he have actually bought a franchise? I mean, the 70s were weird. Don't get me wrong. But could he have actually bought a franchise? Uh, Yes, and here's why. One, it's the ABA, not the NBA. Uh, two, it's in Flint, Michigan. And three, sports teams have been like oddly dirt cheap until the last 15 years. So I, here's, here's a crazy stat. Again, not basketball because uh, I'm mainly a baseball fan. But I think it, I think it resonates nonetheless because um, I think it, it is reflective of, of sports at large. So the Kansas City Royals are up for sale, right? The Kansas City Royals are up for sale. And uh, the guy who owns them currently but is selling them, uh, Glass, something Glass, um, he bought them in 2001 for a little under $100 million. He's selling them for over a billion 18, 19 years later. I mean, Donald Sterling's return on the Clippers was outrageous. Yeah, if you and that's that's in this century. So if you're buying a team in the '70s and it's a low tier team in a second tier league, hell yeah, one song's proceeds could get you that team. <laughs> that's a fair point, savvy businessman, uh, Jackie Moon. Yeah, let's get into the IMDb trivia really quick before for anything. Uh, in April 2008, Rocky the Grizzly Bear, who wrestles Jackie Moon, killed Stephen Miller, one of his trainers and a cousin of the stuntman, doubling for Farrell by biting him on the neck. Unfortunately, not that Stephen Miller. But, uh, <laughs> sad all the Is least. that even Stephen? I feel like it's Stefan. I think, I think you're right. I think it is Stefan. Yeah, there's an A in that. I just I just needed to make a Stephen Miller. Reference. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, except for the Flint Tropics, all the team names and uniforms are the same as the real ABA, which is one of the things this movie does really well. It really is like kind of loving a loving tribute to the ABA. 
It is. It is, uh, including my hometown, San Antonio Spurs. My my St. Louis Spirits. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're a Missouri guy. Yeah. Uh, Twiggy's last name is Munson. This is an homage to Woody Harrelson's character in Kingpin, Roy Munson, which is one of my favorite movies yeah. in general. Not just sports. Just I, I can't wait to cover Kingpin. Yeah. Kingpin. Oh, I'm surprised you haven't done that yet, actually. Oh, it's 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 definitely on the agenda. Let's get into something that I left off your run sheet and forgot to run by you. So we're yeah, going to do a best scene. I'm going to throw you out some nominations. You got to pick one. Okay. So the uh, the first game, which includes that halftime shot by uh, by Jackie Earl, Earl Haley's character, Dukes. Tell everybody what's your name. Dukes. <laughs> All right, Dukes. Dukes, where are you from? Flint, Michigan. And they never missed a game. Woo! Dukes is homegrown. I think you're on a little something that's homegrown, maybe. <laughs> We're having fun. Coming off a coming off an Academy Award nomination, I'm pretty sure that and and Watchmen. I want to say I think, both of those I were Watchmen was after. Watchmen, I after. Watchmen, Watchmen was after. Watchmen might have been after. Yeah, but he got his uh, he got his um, Academy Award nomination. I think right before that for Best Supporting Actor. He didn't win, but. And he he got his he got his start in a sports movie in Bad News Bears way back in the seventies. Uh, the card game, the uh, the game where Father Pat ejects Jackie. Ooh. The uh, the eye black game with the commercial brawl. Yeah. The bear wrestling scene, and then the last game. Did I miss anything? I don't think you did. Uh, I don't think you did. I'm trying to think about it. That, that feels right to me. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Is there something like if it's coming on TV, you're like, I'm waiting for this scene or this. Well, is, if it's coming on TV, <laughs> then then but the, my two favorite scenes out of the ones you just list, listed are, are worthless because this movie well, is like a hard on art. HBO. Yeah, if it's coming, if it's on, coming HBO. on HBO. Um, I, so I probably as a scene – the poker game slash j- the jive turkey scene, as I like to call it. Uh, so funny. As a scene, that's probably better. But the best moment in the entire film is when Jackie Moon gets ejected from the game because it's one of the best lines in any comedy I've ever heard ever. It's so vulgar and ridiculous and funny and mean. And that's when Jackie screams at Father Pat. Suck my t- I'll murder your family. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's so like, good. It makes me laugh every time. Sometimes when I have a bad mood, I'll just YouTube suck my cock. I'll murder your family. It just perks me right up. The Jackie father Pat dynamic is one of my favorite parts of this movie. I think my favorite is, is honestly the bear wrestling, which I know is like the most gimmicky. Like it's the most obvious, supposed to be the most obvious funny thing. They make it work. But it's, it's when Kristen Wiig tells him that she's been working with the bear for one day. I just lose my shit. That's hilarious. It's also hilarious. Two seconds later when she was like, Hey, we're, we're both wearing red. Um, and we have the, and then also when she was like, no, I've worked with the bear for a day, but I've worked with cats for 13 years. I'm very familiar with animals. Um, it's just like by that point in the movie, you're so conditioned to seeing these famous funny people. And it's just like another one. It's like, you're just like, oh my God, is that Kristen Wiig? Like the whole thing is, is so good. Yeah. And she's not even in the top, as far as billing goes, she's not even on the first page of the IMDb page. You have to like go into yeah, full cast. She's much lower. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll get into that with um, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award. But um, before we get into most authentic, least authentic, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Big Screen Sports is sponsored by Indochino. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's one problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire Podcast Network and Big Screen Sports are pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Are you like me and you're headed down the aisle soon? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's really easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally. Or just measure yourself or have a spouse and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Big Screen Sports listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. Plus, shipping's free. That's Indochino.com with promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by MyBookie.ag. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Unless you're betting on the Dolphins, and then it doesn't matter where you bet, you're going to lose. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season or perhaps some postseason baseball, bet with MyBookie. Did you know that you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try Parlay. If all your picks come through, you multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. And postseason baseball. Don't forget about that. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Go to MyBookie.ag and start winning your bets today. All right, so Rob, for you, what were the uh, the most authentic part of this movie? And I mean, I know it's a spoof. The, the caveat with with movies like this is that you're not holding them to the same standard that you do a serious sports movie. But like you said, a lot of the comedy is rooted in authenticity. So what, what's the most authentic for you? Um, so uh, you know, oddly, uh, I, I can't remember the the um, example off the top of my head, but Mox. Um, or I'm sorry. Well, God, what was Woody Harrelson's name? I'm, I'm blanking. Monix. Sorry, Monix. Monix. Uh, being traded for a washing machine. That's like a, based on something real uh, in either basketball or like baseball from back in the day, where like they would trade player like players for like things they needed because money was tight because they weren't like billion dollar leagues, you know, like they are now. Um, so the washing machine, Monix being traded for a washing machine surprisingly authentic. Um, but I think in general, it's, it's, it's just like, they have such attention to detail with the ABA. Like I was saying earlier with the wackiness of it. And even like, uh, the best example for me that I can cite is, um, when they're playing the St. Louis spirits. Okay. In that scene, it says, the sign says the St. Louis arena. That is the actual name of where they played. It was just called the arena. Uh, or the St. Louis Arena, and you can even see um, signs in the arena, which does not exist anymore, was demolished like 20 years before this movie was shot, 
uh, or 10 years maybe before this movie was shot, uh, signs for KMOX, which is the local St. Louis radio station that would have broadcast these games. So like the attention to detail about the ABA and the period and everything is like amazing. It's perfect. Uh, That was the same for me. It was like the the uniforms, the ABA teams, the 70s. It was just a perfect setting for a spoof movie like this, but they also put so much attention into the detail and actually getting the feel right and letting the comedy come from that that I think... uh, I think it was perfect. I, I think that's part of the reason this movie is so funny and so good is the setting and the attention to detail with the ABA is great. Uh, and the, another thing that's nice too about it was um, they didn't get too stupid about like 70s jokes. Uh, and even the most egregious 70s joke, the jive turkey scene, uh, ended up being so funny that it didn't matter. Because uh, sometimes you get like, really sidetracked with that stuff. They're like, hey, man, what's that called? Oh, it's an afro. Or like uh, there's a scene in a terrible 80s uh, fraternity show on TBS where like uh, this guy was like talking to a girl uh, in the quad and he's like like the, like a girl he liked. And he was like, yeah, I have to go to class. They're teaching us something about something called electronic email. They're calling it email or something. <laughs> like anyone's ever going to use that, which is just like – it made me want to throw my TV out the window. Like it's just horrible it's like writing. An obvious throwaway joke. Yeah, where it's and like they didn't really have. There was none of that in this movie. No, not at all. Did you have anything that was for least authentic, or just something you didn't generally enjoy about the movie? Um, because for this, there's not really a lot. Again, when it's a, it's a complete spoof, it's like we're not gonna. You're not gonna, you know, screw it for having a brawl at commercial. Like that's just that's funny. That's the joke. Yeah, I mean, the Monix love storyline was just like felt slightly shoehorned in there. Um, it felt a little generic in terms of like, okay, somebody's got to have a a love interest. He's got to prove himself, prove himself to his ex. Um, I didn't yeah, find it that, that compelling. That was the generic thing. The thing with the Monix love story is it's a really tough look for guys named Kyle. And that's a guy <laughs> named Kyle. Just just rough. But that the whole They did try the, to patch uh, it up with that, which which was nice. Like yeah, Rob yeah. Cordry being like happy about this basketball player he loves drilling him. That's his. honestly one of the funniest the funniest things because you don't know how it's gonna go when he like comes back and he hears Monix and his his wife or whatever getting it on and then he just sits down and starts cranking. And like it just that that gets me. They do they do do a good job of like I said with Jive Turkey and with that like there'll be something potentially cheesy and they do a good job kind of like bandaging it like putting a band aid on it a little bit. Um, well, with Jive Turkey it was actually just a great scene, but with that that they do have a good band aid on that. But at the end of the day, it's still kind of whatever. Um, and the whole movie's age really like surprisingly from a comedy from like the middle of last decade, there's only one thing that I don't think gets made right now. And it's uh they use, I'm just going to call it the R word. Uh, they use that like three, three times. Will Arnett just back to back to back. They would probably skip that at this point, you know, in 2019. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, it is, it's just a comedy tour de force. 
It really is. So I think, and speaking on Will Arnett, I think that's a good, you know, let's just roll it into what worked, what we enjoy about the movie. The Dick Pepperfield and Lou Redwood, played by Andrew Daly and Will Arnett, is just the, it's the fucking best. It's the funniest part of the movie for me. Is it really? Yeah, I mean, I just can't. So what's your, I I wrote down some of my my favorites, your favorite uh, Dick Pepperfield and Lou Redwood exchange uh, when when Lou Redwood says, "I'll bet my alleged son he doesn't make this." <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was incredible. Shit, yeah, shit fucking sandwich. This is easily the worst half of basketball the tropics have played since Monix took over as coach. Yeah, it's a shit fucking sandwich, Dick. Oh, let's watch the F bomb, Lou. And then when they're carrying Jackie off the court. And Dick's like, uh, they're doing an awful job of stabilizing his spine. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in the beginning, when he's like, uh, when Dick's like, you mind putting out that cigarette? And then Lou responds with, no, I like to smoke when I drink. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the before the last game, he's like, no one's done more for this city than, than Jackie Moon. And he's like, no one has done more for the city, with the possible exception of Henry Ford, than Jackie <laughs> Moon. <laughs> but the whole the in in sports movies the announcers in general can either be like great like the the top tier the mount rushmore is harry doyle from major league like right obvious the best but and and this has kind of shades of uh pepper brooks and and cotton and for dodgeball it is a lot more akin to that for sure yeah it it is very much so kind of the the straight man and then just like the the wild card and it, for me, it's my it's I think it's my favorite part of the movie. It's the funniest part of the movie. That's, I'm surprised that I mean, for me, it's it's Will Ferrell all the way. I think he. I mean, he's great, but the 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 side action of of Dick and Lou is I just love it. Yeah, no, I mean they're fantastic. I also like. Um, oh my god, I'm blanking on it now. Um, horrible time to blank on this. They had one more quote that I really liked uh, that I that I forgot while I was thinking about how much I liked Will Ferrell in this movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have me, a ton of them. They do. Um, I mean, for me, it was just, oh, oh, it was when he talks about uh, having an erection after the alley-oop. Yeah, I don't know why, Dick, but I just got an erection. Oh, oh yeah, that's classic. Yeah. Classic. That was, a, that was a Lou Redwood line. That was Will Arnett. Yeah, that was, yeah, Will Arnett did that. Um, but that was a good one. And then, but for me, it's just... Um, Will Ferrell just does such a good job of being unhinged in this. Uh, you can tell he's like really having fun with it. And I think he had permission to, in a lot of ways, obviously he's Will Ferrell, but one thing I didn't realize until I was doing research on this today um, is that the guy who wrote this, uh, Scott Armstrong, he also wrote old school uh, and starts. So, he, so and, he just put out heaters. He, well, He's hit or miss. So he wrote going. To, so Scott Armstrong, I think, is the other big person you can give credit to for this movie. Obviously, because he's a writer. Uh, he wrote Road Trip, which is fine. I don't love that movie. Uh, Hasn't aged well. It, yeah, Twenty years later. Yeah, it's a real like second or third tier turn of the century comedy. Um, um, but then he wrote Old School, which is obviously a classic. All timer. He wrote Starsky and Hutch, which I think uh, is really underrated. Has a lot of great moments. Um, I like Starsky and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch is a good one you can catch on TV yeah. and you don't lose a lot. And one, by the way, that Will Ferrell's really hilarious in, in a bit role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he wrote something called School for Scoundrels, which I think was not very good. 
He wrote the. That was with uh, John Heater he, from uh, Blades of Glory. Yeah, and that looked really stupid. Um, he wrote The Heartbreak Kid, which is one of Ben Stiller's worst movies. Uh, and then he wrote Semi Pro, which is great, obviously. That's why we're here talking about it. Uh, and then he wrote, and I think this is actually a really underrated movie, and people are probably going to disagree with me, uh, but it always makes me laugh. Uh, and that is The Hangover Part 2. People rip on the Hangover sequels, but I actually think Hangover Part 3 was the only bad one. Hangover Part 2. Hangover Part 3 is terrible. Yes. Hangover Part 2 has its moments. I think the biggest criticism people have with Hangover Part 2 is they're just running the same playbook. I agree with that, and I would I think that's a valid criticism. Uh, my favorite scene, though, in maybe any Hangover movie is uh, Stu finding out at the tie. At the brothel. Yeah, at the brothel or whatever. In my bottom. That 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 also is a scene that I, when I'm in like uh, when I'm bummed out, I'll just go watch that scene and it makes me giggle every time. Um, it's funny. That's the scene that I had in mind when you mentioned that movie of like, oh, that's the funniest part of the movie. Oh, easily by far. Uh, so he 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 has like this guy's got a pretty good batting average as far as movies written movies go. Um, and he's got a show called Dice now, but I don't know what the hell that is. Um. Maybe you do, but so no, no clue. Okay, but oh, it's and it's and the Andrew Dice Clay show, I uh, guess. Yeah, I, I'm. I think I'm out on that. Yeah, I'm not a huge Dice Clay guy. Uh, well, it's like a mockumentary. I think. I think I've seen like part of it, which is it was like okay, but anyway. Uh, Scott Armstrong, funny writer most of the time, uh, and wrote, I mean the guy wrote old school. What I mean, like how much how much else do you need? Um. So that's pretty legit. And so that's another thing that I was, that I thought was really, you know, great. Now, granted old school had a couple writers, uh, he, but I mean, Scott Armstrong wrote it. Three guys came up with the story, but Scott Armstrong wrote it in tandem with Todd Phillips. And that, that's saying a lot. I mean, I, I would say. yeah, if you, if you work on old school, it puts you in kind of the comedy hall of fame right away. It's like a first ballot thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this movie had like a legit great plot. Because that's another thing when I was rewatching, I forgot kind of how they got into the thing and they work the actual ABA merger into this and come up with, uh, you know, you got to get fourth place, you got to average 2000 fans. So it it works in they've got to play better because they got to get in the fourth place. But it also you write into the plot. Well, we got to figure out how to draw fans. And that lets that the the character of Jackie kind of flourish and do all this crazy shit. So it works perfectly for the plot. It makes it even funnier. So it's actually, it's not like a dumb sports movie, but it's legitimate, good plot. Like on the surface, it could have been a serious movie. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, I've written, I've worked on like actual movie scripts before. And, I, you know, I, I, I've had a TV pilot option. So like, I know what it's like to write screenplays. And um, the hardest part for me, as someone who's like there to write dick jokes, is coming up with like good stakes and like setting like either a good ticking clock or some other kind of like good stakes. And uh, this film really, really does a great job of that. Like just, it's obviously solidly written from a comedy standpoint, but it just sets up the story really well too, to the point where there's like, you know, it's, it's seamless and it's not cheesy. Like say blades of glory where it's like, Oh, like the whole premise is, Oh, two guys skating together. <laughs> it's, it's like, that sucks. But this, they do a good job of, of setting the stakes, um, but not like making them overbearing or like heavy on the film. It just lets the film 
it opens the film up for possibility instead of weighing it down. And yeah, and I think that's that's one of sports comedies at its best. A couple weeks ago, did the Waterboy with um, with your former colleague Ross Bolin, and we talked about the same thing. Like on the surface, the Waterboy is a movie about a young, socially awkward guy learning how to channel his aggression into football and helping a team, you know, improve and and just be a be a ni- bunch of nicer guys. And that's kind of and then the comedy comes from that. And it's the same thing with this. Like it works, it works really good. You know, it brings in, um, you know, this old guy to be the coach and improve the team, and that's like a natural thing. The you know the like Monix's coaching scenes work. Uh, it's shades of Coach Carter uh, coaching him without the ball. Exactly. And the thing too is people don't realize this. Like, and it's very similar in sports. Uh, you can know that you're supposed to do something, but actually doing it is a whole nother thing and it's really, really hard. So you can know, for example, like I'm a writer and I know that that's how it's supposed to work, right? You're supposed to set up uh, the drive, the driving force of the plot, the stakes and the story like that. You know, you can know that, but it's another thing to do it, to actually have the discipline to do it. And, and it just, you really, it's just really, really impressive uh, that they did it like that. And it's another, it just goes to show how stupid that Rotten Tomatoes score is for them and how people were so overly influenced by kind of just being tired of seeing Will Ferrell sports movies. Yeah, it had the Blades of Glory stink on it. And and can kicking and screaming. Go ahead. No, no, that's all I had. Well, I was just one legitimate sports point that you can make in this movie uh, Jackie had a point in the corn dog scene. Corn dogs, Jackie. Corn dogs for all these people. In the free, in the the free corn dogs. If you score one twenty five, they're up by seven or so. Have got and have the ball. Four points. Yeah, and have the ball. You. They literally should have run out the clock. Like, yes, it would have helped Jackie not have to dish out the corn dogs. Yeah. But also, that's the right play. You just run it out. You don't. You don't score those points. Yeah. Although to be fair, they would have gotten fouled. Yeah. And then well, they would I, have been shooting. I don't know if that strategy was as hot in the ABA. True. Back, back in the day. I remember if you've seen the 30 for 30 on the NC State survive in advance, they make it seem very much so like Jim Valvano kind of invent, invented that strategy. Interesting. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, that's just, that's just the gist I got. I don't know if he did, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's something there. Uh, one, but speaking of fouling and free throws, so at the end, they go with the grainy style free throw. Or Jackie goes with the grainy style free throw to make, and Monix is kind of like, oh shit, yeah. or whatever. There's a great revisionist history podcast. If you listen to Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history podcast about how granny style free throws are actually better. Like it, it is easier for someone to make. He does a thing about Rick Barry who shot, you know, granny style free throws or hand free throws or whatever. Yeah. So Jackie was analytically, Jackie was making the smart play there. Right. <laughs> Did you have anything else that worked or enjoyed or you just want to uh, want to comment on with this movie? I just think it all worked. It was just just such a better film than people give it credit for. The actors are great. Andre 3000 is a really good actor in this movie. Um, He's got good actions on the court and his fro looks awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even like most of the secondary characters work really, even the tertiary characters like Pachitis, you know what I mean? Like everyone plays a part really well. Um, it's just a really 
tight film. And, you know, it's only a real loose thread is the love subplot, which is at least funny still at times. Uh, I mean, like the, the Moxon or Monix, I, I'm, I'm in a uh, varsity blues uh, mindset. The Monix um, wanting redemption subplot, I think is fine. I just think them playing it out through a love story was kind of tired. Um, mm-hmm. But with that said, they still added enough comedy to it where it worked. Um, I, I really didn't have a lot that didn't work. Even Will Ferrell does an okay job of looking like a basketball player on the uh, on the travel that got called on him, for example, of uh, when he told uh, Father Pat to suck his cock because he's going to murder his family and he was going to murder his family. Um, that was a solid little sky hook that he threw up on that travel. And, um, you know, Will Ferrell, you could obviously tell he watched the sports. Is what it's, he didn't sound out of place when he's saying, like, ball, 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 ball. Um, I just, re- on, upon rewatch, I didn't really have any complaints about it. Yeah, not at all. Um, I mean, obviously, Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson can ball. We saw that in, uh, in White Man Can't Jump. One question I was going to ask you, are you surprised that there was not more star power on the team in terms of like I, th- I thought the character the the guys who were actually on the tropics team were funny uh I, but aside from andre 3000 and woody harrelson the rest it wasn't a lot of the cameos and stuff were m- more famous more notable people than the guys actually playing for the tropics which kind of surprised me in retrospect. Uh, you know, that was interesting that they didn't have more because nowadays, well, it, over the last 10 years, uh, and really even all the way back, I guess you could say to Lake Anchorman, um, you just see a ton of famous comic actors, comedians, improvisers in every single role. It's like you see the same 50 people in every comedy released, you know, over the course of a year. Like in any given comedy, there's a pool of 50 to 70 people and 20 of them will be in a, in, in any given comedy. Um, and this wasn't totally the case for um, semi-pro. It kind of was. I mean, you know, you obviously have Andrew Daly and Will Arnett, uh, Andy Richter, David Ketchner, Rob Corddry, Matt Walsh, um, and then Kristen Wiig and Tim Meadows. Oh, I didn't realize Jason Sudeikis was in this too. Um, yeah, let, well, let's, let's run that into the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting yeah, yeah, yeah. character because I think it's the most loaded Lenny Harris award we've ever had. Like, I literally just had to do a copy and paste of it because I mean, so many of these people are great, and the movie is built on funny supporting characters. Like, you have the the Will Ferrell performance kind of taking you through it, but the movie's built on supporting characters. So obviously Andrew Daly, Will Arnett is, is Dick Pepperfield and Lou Redwood. I've already expressed how much I love them. Matt Walsh is Father Pat. Andy Richter is Bobby D. And then the guys on the tropics, uh, that's Jay Phillips is Scootsy. Josh Bratton is Twiggy. Peter Cornell <laughs> is Vakitis. DeRay Davis is B.B. Ellis. Uh, and then this is a name I always butcher. It's Champ Kine from Anchorman. David Ketchner. I think it's Ketchner. Ketchner. Yeah. Ketchner. Yeah. As the ABA commissioner, uh, Rob Cordry is Kyle, uh, Maura Tierney yeah. is, is Lynn, which is Ed Monix's love interest. There's Jackie or O'Haley is Dukes, who we talked about. Jason Sudeikis, the, uh, the tropics season ticket holder. And this is by the way, Tim back Meadows. when this is by the back when, um, Sudeikis and Chris and Wig were not famous. 
They were pretty new on SNL at that point. They were not even close to being stars. And Sudeikis really only has that kind of scene where he he brings the nachos courtside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim Meadows is Cornelius Banks. I love Tim Meadows. Always. It saddens me all the time that Tim Meadows wasn't in more stuff. Like when he is like, have you seen Popstar? Oh, I love Popstar. Popstar is Popstar is fucking amazing. Yeah. But uh, Tim Meadows and Popstar is good. Um, I feel like as a parent for you, have you seen the deleted song from Popstar? No, I don't think I have. Oh my god! Let, I'll just uh, let, let me YouTube this real quick, just because as a parent you'll appreciate it, and I want you. Yeah, please. I please want send you. That to me. I think it's called "Fuck Off." Uh, yeah, pop star. Fuck off. Just look. I'll, I'll send you the. Uh, it's about kids and parents, basically. That's exactly what I need in my life. Right. Um, this cameo is one of Patty Labelle is Jackie's mom, which is also one of the random funniest things in the world. Yeah. When Jackie comes up and Patty Labelle's his mom. Uh, Aaliyah English is Mrs. Quincy, who's Clarence's mother, <laughs> who is very notable for saying, "That's my son." Yeah. Uh, Kristen Wiig is the bear trainer, and then Ed Helms is the reporter. That is a loaded. I mean, that is most of these people have either had their own vehicle in terms of a comedy movie, or have been in so many, you know, comedy movies, co- funny comedy roles. Like, this movie is loaded. Is as we were talking before we recorded, and it might be the most loaded of all the Feral movies. In terms of just people they had. I would say, I think that the Anchormans are probably way more loaded than that. The second one, Anchorman Anchorman 2 was probably really loaded because they got a ton of people in for Anchorman 2. Anchorman 1's more loaded than you think. Seth Rogen is a camera guy in in the first Anchorman. Like, it's it's got a deep bench. Danny Trejo is a bartender. It's a a deep bench on, on even the original Anchorman. Yeah, they unload the bench in the fight scene, and then they do it even more in the fight scene in Anchorman Two. Like I stand for Anchorman Two. I love Anchorman Two. I said, uh, I, yeah. What is uh? Isn't John John C. Riley is like Ulysses S. Grant or something? And he's and, uh, Stonewall Jackson, I think. Stonewall, the ghost of Stonewall Jackson yeah. in the fight. Release your soul to me. There will be a mint julep waiting on the other side, son. Release your soul to me. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I said when, when Anchorman 2 came out, someone asked me how it was because they hadn't seen it yet. And I was like, honestly, it's hilarious. It's just not groundbreaking. Like, it's the same as the first one. Like, if this movie was the first movie, people would think it was a Hall of Fame movie. But they're just doing something that's been done before, so people aren't going to love it as much. But it's really just like, like if Anchorman 1 and Anchorman 2 were divided up into our segments and it was all one season of a TV show, people would love it all equally. I still feel like Anchorman 2 is going to go on some sort of run. I don't know if it's in five years or if it's in 10 years or something. It's going to go on one of the really long HBO runs or start hitting the TBS TNT thing, and it's just going to be thought of way more fondly. Kind of like this movie. Yes, I agree. This movie can't. This movie, you'd lose a lot on TNT. You lose a a ton on basic cable. It's 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 not worth watching on basic cable, to be completely honest. There's not as much physical comedy as there is, I think, in Anchorman 2. Like, there's there's still a bunch that you can take on basic cable. It would lose a decent amount, but there, I think there's more. Yeah. Like, Anchorman um, 2, you got, like, Will Ferrell trying to fight, um, what's his name? Because he thinks he's a psychic. Um, and then it turns out he is a psychic. And it's hilarious. Like, that's a payoff, you know, that, that you can get on cable. But with this movie, this movie's a hard R. 
it, it, it is, it is, it is but it, it's it's better for it yeah for my for my lenny harris award for my best supporting character i think i already made it pretty clear that it's dick pepperfield and lou redwood for me yeah did, was there someone else who who, who did it for you <clears throat> um Honorable mention to Father Pat. Matt Wallace's Father Pat for me. I did like Father Pat, but I feel like he was more of a straight man. I I will say those really are probably the two best, but since you took them, I will say that in her minimal scream time, Kristen Wiig really shines. She really is so good. So funny. Yeah. Um, It's really, she's hilarious. Like in the two, three minutes she's on screen, you're laughing at pretty much every line she has. Yeah, it, that was a, a big sign of things to come. Absolutely. For Kristen Wiig. I want to rank the uh, all the promos. The promos that... Uh, and, I, and I don't really know how we're going to rank them, maybe in terms of like what we're most likely to show up for, or what's, what's the most ridiculous. I don't know, but these are the promos. The, the first two that are in the credits, the promos that Jackie runs out to get people to Tropics games. The ones in the credits are Free Gerbil Night and Dime Beer Night. And then uh, the first game, the first game, there's the $10,000 free throw at, at, uh, at halftime that Duke sinks. There's free corn dog night. There's Jackie's jump when he decides to jump the cheerleaders on, on roller skates. Right. There's bear wrestling. And then the last game, there's the mega bowl where he just invents, invents a game, which for me is kind of like when, uh, Yukon invented the civil conflict. Right. Yeah. UCF. That's what very was, akin to that. What was your favorite? What was the one that made you laugh the most? Uh, bear wrestling made me laugh the most. Like when he's like, he's like, you will get no refund. Your refund is escaping this death trap with your lives. Like that, <laughs> that whole scene to me was like the funniest scene uh, in terms of just me, like, I don't know, the most laughs, but probably the funniest scene in terms of the most preposterous was him trying to stop the corn dog thing. <laughs> <laughs> from go from happening. I, I enjoyed that one. The, those Dime are my two favorites. One, Dime beer. Like I had, there was a bar where I went to college that had had uh, ten cent Tuesdays. Nice. So I, I know firsthand how bad Dime beer night gets. Yeah. So, uh, and then I love the thing I love the most about Free Gerbil Night is just I think it's the first bit of comedy we see in the show or in, in the movie. Because it's right in the opening credits, and you just see free gerbil night, and it kind of sets you up into what kind of ridiculous thing this movie's gonna be. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but all the all the promos are are funny. It's just another thing that this movie does really well. As far as best and worst on screen athlete, I don't think there's anyone who looked bad. Like even like you said, Will Ferrell looked really good. Right. Like, I'll go with really like good. I'll go with like an all pro Twiggy or something. You know what I mean? Like or. Um... I hate to call him the other black guy, but I forgot his name. Um, the dude, he's in a... Ray Davis. Yeah, Deray Davis. Um, BB. Yes. Those two, I mean, they just stand out the least. So you could say them. Yeah. I mean, it was... The team looked serviceable. It did the job. It wasn't glaring or anything. They didn't require a whole lot of, like, amazing basketball in this movie. So... Um, which is another reason why it's so good. Because that that would have distracted unless they were being intentionally awful. Like they were showing someone who was like, Oh, this guy sucks at basketball. It still stands out. If you're like, okay, these guys don't look like they can even handle the ball. So it did enough to make this movie, you know, workable and let you could, you could focus on the comedy and not worry about, well, none of these guys can even dribble. Right. Well, and the other thing too, is it works because, um, Will Ferrell's humongous. 
you're going to be in a lot more trouble if your lead if your lead comedian has to run the point instead of play in the post. Uh, so really, all Will Ferrell had to do was post up, and obviously Woody Harrelson knows his way around a basketball, uh, and is a fairly athletic guy. He's been in two major, three major comedy movies, um, sports comedy movies. I mean, um, so yeah, hell, I don't know how Will Ferrell looks in transition, um, but he's fine in the half court. So you know, yeah, no, there was no one, and I and Andre uh, three thousand, Andre Benjamin, as he's credited on the film, um, he, you know, he, he had to dribble a fair amount cause he was, I guess there too. Right. Was he there too? I would say. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, yeah, he handled the ball fine as, as well. So you really, the only two guys you had to worry about doing any kind of volume dribbling, uh, for the, for the Flint tropics anyway, was, was Monix and Clarence, uh, Woody Harrelson and, and Andre Benjamin. Um, and they were both more than serviceable, uh, certainly serviceable enough on film that you can, creatively cut to make sure like they look good enough. Um, so yeah, and everybody else was fine. I, I would just say like the lesser guys aside from Vakaitis, um, who was also played in the post and didn't have to do much dribbling. Um, the other two kind of like in between guys, the threes, I guess. Um, yeah. Twiggy Munson and, and uh, BB. Yeah. They were, they were the only two that I guess were like, whatever, but they barely mattered. In terms of what we everything did. did the job like it was serviceable and that's all you needed right question i want to start asking all my guests when it's a fictional movie like this rob would this make a good 30 for 30 uh, absolutely someone like jackie 100%. someone like jackie moon trying to fight his way into the nba convincing all the owners to change their mind he's got the worst team in the league he's a he's a joke plays on his own team this is like uh i mean it's almost akin to like Donald Trump playing on his own XF or not XFL team. Uh, what, what was his, what was their league? Was that league called? That was the USFL. Yeah. He was the owner of the Washington general or the New York general. Yeah. I believe. Or it's like that. Or, um, you know, when Ted Turner literally managed the Braves after he fired, I think Bobby Cox the first time. Um, well, the only time he rehired him, didn't fire him after that. Uh, but yeah, Ted Turner, you know, eccentric baseball owner managed the Braves for a couple games when he fired a manager because he's just like whatever. There's a there's a there was a true story. He went up to one of the pitchers. He's like, "You want back cleanup today? Doesn't matter. Like they're in last place. The team was a mess. So it, that would be that. I mean, that would be Jackie Moon doing a uh, managing a baseball team. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I would love. Will Ferrell did that. Um, that thing where he played all nine positions and the spring training. You remember that yeah. a couple of years ago? Yeah. 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 I would love for him to get into a baseball comedy. Would agree. Love it. I would like shut up and take my money. Like I Netflix go pay him to do this. You know, what would be a great baseball comedy is, um, uh, forget about on field, a front office movie. I would love like Will Ferrell doing a money ball spoof kind of thing would be unbeatable. Yeah, absolutely. Would be so good. Um, I always end each podcast with how, you know, how would you improve this movie? I don't have anything, but I would love to just know like a sequel of what happens to Jackie Moon in the cocaine riddled NBA of the 1980s. You're right. Yeah, right. Uh, I want to see Jackie Moon in the NBA. I, I, will also, I will just say the one thing is um, better motivation for Monix than winning his girl back. I would take that. Um, again, that... <laughs> You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like a studio note. 
and a poor way um, of shoehorning a woman into the film. Like a really... She is really the only... Her, Clarence's mom, and Kristen Wiig are really the only women with main roles. Yeah, and so I, I really feel... And I love Maura Tierney. I'm a big news radio fan. She, she is fantastic. incredible in this movie, by she's the way. She's also gorgeous. Yeah, um, but she's a great comedy actor. She's a great comedy actor, age-appropriate for Woody Harrelson, too, I believe. Um, Absolutely. But, like, yeah, it was... She was really shoehorned in... Um, and not, that's not her fault. It was just that, that is the only instance of bad writing. And it's very clear. I think that they had this whole universe figured out. And as male comedy writers are wont to do, you know, they're like, Oh fuck, we need a chick somewhere in here just to have a chick. And, uh, that's what that was. Um, I would have preferred, you know, uh, for example, Major League, way better job of putting a, a woman in the film and making her matter in it. Um, yeah, woman is the villain. It was actually pretty unique. Yeah. Um, sports not that there should only be like one woman in it, but really as far as this is a movie about a men's sports league, like how many men are in a league of their own that matter? Like two, three. Um, you could yeah, have had two or three. Sunday does a good job of that too with Cameron. Yes, Diaz. yes exactly. You could have. They could have done a much better job of putting um, a couple women in this, um, especially. But even if it was, even if they just kept it at, at you know one, because it is about a men's sports league, and if they're being somewhat true to the ABA, probably not a lot of women um, making a difference in that league. If they're at being that somewhat time. true to the seventies. Yes, exactly. Um, so, but they still could have just been more more um, creative and and, and fun with uh with how they put a woman in there it was a, it was a very dud way to put it in there um to put her in there but she did a good job she was fine she's more tyranny she's a freaking pro like she's she's always going to be good on screen um but yeah that, look that at her imdb she's been going at it for like 30 years man she's a pro she, man she is she's, she's a been, pro yeah pro's pro she's one of those people um, you don't realize probably has like 25 million dollars to their name just because they've been working and acting for so long um, good for her yeah exactly uh just one of the nation's like millions of millionaires who you like don't even think about you're like oh i've seen her and stuff she's probably like got a nice house but like no she's been worked working actor for 30 years so she's yeah she was got in, millions uh, she and was in gene hackman's last movie welcome to mooseport yeah she was ray romano's love interest in that i believe she was yeah i've seen that actually more than once that's odd <laughs> i know it, it did an uh, hbo run i'm not proud of it if you want to see Maura Tierney really be uh, a great comedic actress, like live up to her potential and and everything, um, watch News Radio. I don't know where it's streaming, but it's a really great, really great show. It's like Phil Hartman's last great thing, um, but she's awesome in it. Uh, so yeah, that'd be my main thing. Is is better, and you can, it can even still be Maura Tierney, but just better utilized in a different role. The love interest didn't work on any angle. Maybe they'll give her some more to do in the uh, in the semi pro sequel about Jackie Moon navigating the the cocaine era of the NBA. But um, th- this movie's great, Rob. Thank you so much for coming on and, and discussing it with me. Tell the folks again where they can follow you and where they can check out your podcast. So uh, at Rob Fox Three on Twitter and Instagram, the three is spelled out, um, no underscores or anything like that. Uh, that's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, our, my college football podcast. 
is unofficial visit. Check it out on my Twitter right now. We have a great uh, segment from it. It's a commercial spoof for uh, hot whiskey. We pretended that was our advertiser because we don't have any advertisers yet. Uh, whiskey you smuggle into a college football game. So yeah, unofficial visit. Check that out. Subscribe it. Subscribe to it on iTunes. And then the spare bedroom pod sketch comedy podcast slash comedy album uh, will be available for purchase soon. It's technically available for purchase now. Don't buy it. We're trying to get the price lowered. Don't don't waste. Well, hopefully by the time that this airs, that price has been lowered. Yeah, check if it's still nine ninety nine. Don't buy it. We're trying to get it down to four ninety nine. Perfect, perfect. If it's four ninety nine, pull the trigger. Yes. If this was your first episode of Big Screen Sports. Uh, and you enjoyed what you listened, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go check out past episodes. Go check out episode two with Rob on a, on a league of their own. Uh, follow us on Twitter at big underscore screen sport, Instagram at big screen sports pod, and check out bluewirepods.com. You can check out the entire Blue Wire network, uh, see what other podcasts we have that, that might fit your particular needs, and catch us next Thursday. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.